I want to uh, continue in our series uh, that we've been looking at over this Christmas season called Some Assembly Required. And uh, the assembly that we're going to look at in, in the Christmas story today has something to do with a quote I want to show you here in a second. But to get to the quote, I, I want to have a little fun with it, okay? So I'm going to give you some movie quotes and you tell me what movie or book or whatever Christmas story that is from, okay? Uh, so here's the first one, and I misspelled a word, so forgive me for that. I feel terrible for that. Uh, Merry Christmas, you filth animal. You filthy animal is what it's supposed to say, so I apologize for my spelling. What is it? Home Alone. Yes, very good. Yes. Now, we had a debate, and nobody got back to me after first service. I always just thought it was Home Alone, but a source I said had Home Alone 2. So I don't know. You can you can Google that during the sermon if it gets to the boring time, okay? So anyway, so Home Alone 2 is what I think it is. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I am okay with that. Second one is this. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Anybody know what Christmas story movie that came from? Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens. Very good. All right, we have some, some, the Christmas spirit is strong up here in this corner up here, all right? Um, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. It's a wonderful life. Very good. Uh, if you have four hours, you can watch that before Christmas. Okay, very good. All right, um, maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. The Grinch that stole Christmas. Very good, right? Very good. Um, um, next one. I know nobody likes me. Why do we have to have a holiday season to emphasize it? I think if, if you just resonate with that quote right there, then we can just stop and go home right there, okay? But who, who says that? A Charlie Brown Christmas. All right, very good. They gave away the answer too quick. Let, let, let it stew for a second. There you go. Oh, very good. All right. All right, here we go. Next one. There you go. Um, uh, God bless us, everyone. Uh, yeah, Christmas Carol, right? Ebenezer Screws. There we go. Yep, very good. Um, Here's one that was on at my house yesterday uh, before, appropriately, it was shut down so we could watch a Missouri basketball game, okay? This is this one. If you are ever under a falling building and someone offers to pick you up and carry you to safely, don't think, don't pause, don't hesitate for a moment, spit in his eye. You ever remember that movie? No? Oh, it stumped you. There we go. Somebody said it? Somebody said something over here. White Christmas? Ever, white Christmas? Oh, my sister knew it. Okay, very good. Apparently, White Christmas is strong in the Reynolds household, okay? So um, if you, that's, uh, that's kind of a musical, guys, so don't just don't jump into that one, okay? I'll just warn you now, all right? Um, how about this one? Why am I such a misfit? I am not just a nitwit. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And so I did all that to lead to this last one, okay? Because this is the one that's one of my favorite Christmas movies, if I have to be honest. But it's this one. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is sing loud for all to hear. Elf. All right. Very good. Elf. All right. If you've seen the movie Elf, you know that one of the more, many quotable things from that movie is this quote right here. And I share that because that's kind of the attitude an approach that we want to look at today, but I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, I should just go home and have a big old bowl of cereal with lots of syrup and all kinds of sugar on it. That's not the point I'm trying to make with this, um, this quotes. But I think the quote ties into something that I want to highlight for us here this morning. I chose this because it leads into the thought about the assembly 
and the attitude of the assembly that we're going to look at here today. The assembly is one, um, if you're new with us here today and haven't been with us this month yet, uh, the assemblies have kind of just looked at the Christmas story. And we've tried to look at the places where groups of people are gathered together and the lesson that God is trying to teach in that moment. And so we looked in Matthew chapter 1. The beginning of Matthew's gospel begins with an exciting list of names, genealogy, which isn't all that exciting. And so you begin to dig into who those names are. And so we reminded ourselves of the idea that Christmas is for the unlikely. That if you were to make a list, well, who is God going to use to bring the Savior to the world? You would have not included many of the names that were included in that list. And so Christmas is for the unlikely. And that's good news because many of us are also unlikely people that we would think God would use if we're just looking for our resumes. Last week, we went to another scene, another gathering, and this one took place in Herod's throne room, or Herod's palace, I guess we should say, Um, and it's a place where wise men have been traveling from afar, following a star on the way to find Jesus, and they show up in Jerusalem at the current king's residence, asking, well, where's the new king been born? And Herod had no interest in this new king. In fact, he was very antagonistic and angry and, and uh, hateful about it, and a lot of bad things happened because of his disinterest in pursuing a new king. And so we kind of made the point last week that, that Christmas is for the uninterested, and that's good news, because all of us at different times in our life have probably been uninterested in really following God, where he wants to be leading us and taking us in our life. But God is still interested in us even when we're not interested in him. And so that's good news. And today we want to think about another gathering that took place on the night of Jesus' birth. It took place in the hills surrounding Bethlehem, and it introduces us to the theme that Christmas is for the unhindered. Um, I want to unpack that word, the idea of Christmas being a time that should show us that God loves and he treasures hearts that are unhindered in their worship, in their love, in their devotion to him. And so the text that we're going to read is in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, and it reads like this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company, a great assembly of, heavenly, of the heavenly host, angels, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, picture that in your mind. You all probably have the scene already in your mind from cards and movies and things maybe you've seen. But how do you think those angels' declaration was presented? Do you think it was dry and boring, uninterested, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace ah, to those who, on whom his favor rests. I don't think that's the scene. If it is, that would be extremely disappointing. Um, but I think when the, the text is building to this, that the angel appears in the dark and surprises the shepherds and all of a sudden it builds to another level when a whole host of them appears, hundreds of them, 
all saying with unhindered excitement, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. There was an unhinderedness, I believe, in the angels' presentation, their excitement, their enjoyment of watching God do what God was doing in sending Jesus to us. And so, I want to capture a little bit of this, so I need your unhindered help here, okay? I want us to read those quotes. I want us to read what the angels said, and, and the more unhindered you are, the more special this will be, all right? So, let's read it together, all of us together, unhindered. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Very good. Um, so, you get that scene, right? Um, that scene of unhindered announcements, unhindered enthusiasm, unhindered excitement about what God was doing in the world. Now, I, maybe it looked a little bit like this. We had, if, during the nine o'clock hour, we had our children's program up here, and my kids have aged out of that time frame. And I remember the nerves when my kids were little, when it was Christmas program day, it's like, who's going to do what today? And so there was that nervousness you came to church with, and now I'm still thinking that, but it's just the stakes are much higher, because they're all teenagers, so, um, and then I love them. And so, um, so but I, I love this, I want to show you this little video. Um, there's just something special about unhindered little kids when they're just singing with joy to God. And so this little girl just enjoyed being a part of the church choir that was being sung around her. And so just take a look at this, if you would, please. Nothing's going to steal her joy, right? So that's a beautiful thing. Unless that's, you're the parent of that kid, that's a beautiful thing, right? And you're a little nervous. But it's still a beautiful thing regardless. And it's a picture, I think, of that unhinderedness um, that uh, I think Jesus appreciated um, in those who followed him. Now, you may look at that and you think you may be a very more shy personality, more introverted personality. And, and this isn't about personality types. This is just about the heart that we bring to God. This is about the, the, the level of, of enthusiasm and devotion and love that we, we show to our God. And so I think that angel choir showed up that day, that night, and they announced this good news with an unhindered enthusiasm. And I can say that confidently because as you look through Scripture, every once in a while you come across a passage where God kind of pulls back the curtains and we're given a scene that is, is said to be set in the throne room in, in heaven with God. It places like Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, where Isaiah is getting this commission to be a servant of God, and God shows Isaiah this incredible scene. Um, above him, above the throne, 
God is seated, there were seraphim, which are special angels, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You fast forward to the very last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation, and one of the cool things about that book is it kind of takes you between heaven and earth and gives you these pictures of, of where God's at and what God is doing, but it, it frequently comes back to these themes of where, what's going on in heaven, because on earth, really, the people of, of John's day, they were struggling. They were being persecuted. It was hard. It didn't look like God was in control and God was being honored and worshiped on earth. And so John has given these pictures to encourage them and say, you know what, it may look hard here, but in the throne room that matters, in the place that really matters, this is what's going on. Revelation 4.8 is the first one that I found. That each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all over and around. And, and even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. It goes on a few verses later in verse 11. They lay down their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The next chapter, chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And on and on it goes, many other references throughout the rest of that book. Some of my favorite worship songs, because of texts like these, echo that. I grew up, one of my favorite hymns growing up was Holy, Holy, Holy. Not because the song was so much special, but it connects you with if that's the chant of heaven, if that's the, the attitude and the, um, the soundtrack of heaven, what a special thing it is to join our voices with those who cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love, in purity. The last few years, the song, Revelation song, has echoed that theme of worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. Singing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seats. And on and on they go. I can't think of anything that blesses God more than a heart or a people that worship and serve and love and give themselves to him in an unhindered way, just as they do in his presence in heaven. God loves that because it's, it's the clearest, it's the most unhindered form of worship in, in, in the universe, in his presence. And so we get that picture, and I just picture those angels in that assembly of angels who gather there on that night to announce and celebrate Jesus' arrival and all that Jesus was about to do. And it's encouraging to me. It's beautiful to see that. That's Jesus, um, remember when he prayed in the, uh, in the Lord's Prayer? Um, 
not as on earth as it is in heaven, as the words I'm trying to say, on earth as it is in heaven. I think part of that is that unhinderedness of, of heaven. There's, there's just not reluctance. There's not fear. There's not um, contemplation about should we worship him? Should we obey him? Should we do what he says? Of course we should look at who he is. And so Jesus' prayer was that our lives would grow to match that. And I don't think it's just about obedience, although that certainly is encompassed in it. But I think there is a heart, um, there is an unhinderedness of, of spirit that exists in heaven that God prays would grow in the lives of people like you and me as we follow him and we know him and we serve him. But I look at that scene and the unhinderedness of the angels, and, and as we'll see on Tuesday night at Christmas Eve, the shepherds who go, and, and they were unashamed, even though they had other things in their life, maybe they could have brought shame and made them hesitant to go and share with people, but you get this picture of just the unhinderedness of that first night. They were just excited that he had come to celebrate him, to worship him, to proclaim that to anybody that would listen. But while it's easy to read those stories and to think about that, such a beautiful thing, if we're honest, um, in all of our lives, there are probably things that begin to arise when we begin to try to live that out. Right? It's fun and beautiful thing to worship with a group of people who are like-minded and we all sing holy, 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 and it's a beautiful thing and we celebrate him. And yet, as we leave here, we, it's kind of like a flame. I won't light this match because I will do something bad, and that would be a terrible Christmas. But uh, if I was to light this little match and to, and to let it burn, um, it's kind of like walking out of church. You're walking out of your time in the morning, and you've read your Bible, or you've learned something, or you've, you've been someplace. You've, you've just connected with God, and you see God, and, and it's pretty clear. This is who God is. This is what God wants, and I want to do that. I want to be that. And yet, life is pretty quick to... It has those cold winds that blow and those, those little rain showers of, of criticism or, or mocking or, or whatever that just kind of makes it hard to protect that flame of, of unhinderedness. And so if you and I were to learn how to be more like the angels in that assembly, to worship, to live, to love, to share, to just be more unhindered in our following of Jesus, how might we do that? How could we grow in that? I think there are a whole host of things we could look at here, but I've just picked two of them, um, and I think they go together. Um, I think it's important that if I'm going to do that, I need to spend a few moments at least facing some of the fears and the fractures in my life that cause me to be hindered, that cause me to stop and think, well, why don't I... Um, speak up more? Why don't I share more? Why don't I love more? Why don't I forgive more? Why don't I, I do all those things that I see God? If I, if I have those crystal clear moments of seeing God and who he is and what he wants, I have those clear moments, but then life gets blurry, life gets confusing, uh, and it gets hard. And I think a lot of that is tied up in some of our fears and fractures inside of us that we have to wrestle with. But I think it's healthy to identify some of those. And so I'm going to show you a list here in a second um, that are just some of mine. You could probably make your own list of things that it's like, why, what is it that makes me hindered in really following and being and doing what God would want me to do and to be? Uh, but I will, I will tell, tie it in with this. Uh, we've had, I have a Christmas choir, as I said before. We're singing today at the cave. Um, um, and it's been a fun experience. I don't know if Jason's still in here or not, but uh, yeah, there he is. Yeah, Jason gave us a pep talk. 
at the beginning of our choir. And I should have just sat down that day and had Jason preach because what he had to say in choir practice was a whole lot better than what the preacher had to say that morning at church. But it was just all about the words. You're going to sing about Jesus. You're singing about who he is and, and what he's done for us. And so just sing the words and let God take care of the rest, okay? Now, that sounds great. And I've tried in all of our practices to do that, to be unhindered in worshiping and being a part of choir. Um, and, and that's all fun. But then all of a sudden, Wednesday night came, and we had our tour of the churches. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just us singing to us. It was us singing to a group of people who are staring back at you. Some of them aren't smiling, like you're not smiling now. And so it's, it's kind of that scary moment. It's like, okay... Do I continue to be as unhindered, or do I allow, okay, what, what if I hit a wrong note? What if I mess this up? What, what if I sing the ladies' part? That's embarrassing. Now, what if I do all those things? And I do that every time. That's why I have my, my son, who he elbows me every time. I'm, You're singing the ladies' part, Dad. It's like, sorry. So anyway, so, <laughs> so um, but they, we go through that, those things, right? There are things that, that kind of inhibit our hearts, they inhibit our expression of our love for Christ and our service for Christ. And so I just came up with a list of five of them. Um, most of them start with the letter F. You don't have to do that in your own list. Um, but just some things that as I look at them, these are some things that when I think, what is it that keeps me from being just unhindered, unhindered like those angels were? Things like this. The fear of failure or rejection. It's a scary thing to open your mouth and to talk about your faith. That can be a very scary thing. Um, it can be a scary thing to love or to serve someone that you don't know what's going to come back at you. That can be an unsettling thing. And so we all wrestle with the fear of failure. What if I try something and I fall flat on my face? What if it goes terribly? Or what if, even worse, what if they reject me? What if, like that quote I put, what if they spit in my eye when I try to do something good? What if this goes really badly? And the more... The more that those insecurities work in our life and our heart, um, there's a part of us that feels, man, I, I need that approval. I need that um, applause or I need that something back from someone else. The more this fear works because um, it just works on us and causes us to maybe second guess our words or second guess our actions or would, should I really put myself out there when this could be, this could be painful. I could lose that approval I need or whatever or maybe it's the fatigue of our souls um, maybe and I don't mean this physically as much as I that's why I put the soul part because some of you are tired it's the end of December you're physically you're tired but more so it probably has little to do with December but maybe some of your souls are just tired maybe you've been running for a while and you're not really connected to the Lord very well and you're just tired and maybe life has come along and life has been really hard and there's grief, and there's hurt, and there's loss, and there's relational ruptures, and there's stress, and there's worries, and, and just your soul is just tired. And so when you see angels standing up and, and un, unhindered, just worshiping and praising God and declaring how great he is, you think, that sounds nice, but I'm tired. My soul is tired. And maybe that's what makes you more hindered in, in just singing it out for all the world to hear. Maybe it's frustration with fruitfulness, fruitlessness. Excuse me. Um, maybe it's just like, man, I've been trying this for a while, Lord, and I've been praying. I've been praying for these things. I've been working on these things, and it just doesn't feel like I'm getting very far very fast. And that's hard. That can be frustrating. 
It's like, well, God, it's, it's fine for the angels. They had, they had pretty immediate results. It was fine. Um, it doesn't feel like that for me. And so maybe just the frustration of fruitlessness can kind of make us feel ah, hindered. I'll just hold back. I'll just kind of stay back here in the shadows, just kind of hide here. Because um, maybe I'm just frustrated with God. Maybe I'm disappointed in himself or with God. I think, God, you, I don't know when you're going to work or how you're going to work things out. Maybe it's uh, infatuation with lesser things, other gods. We replace God with a capital G, the God of the Bible, with a lot of trivial things, a lot of little things, little gods that we hope will make us satisfied, will hope give us meaning, will hope to give us purpose, will hope to uh, satisfy that hole inside of us and just make us feel peace and joy and loved and all those things. Um, and yet, so many of those little things, they promise much, but they just get to the end of them and they got to go find another little thing just to satisfy your heart. And so maybe some of those, that hindrance, that hesitancy in our life is because I've really fixated on a lot of trivial things and I'm not really fixated on the God of heaven as much. And this last one, I, I, I mean a couple different things. I don't know if I, I probably should have left this one off, but just the fear of being the focus. There's something scary about just putting yourself out there, taking a step forward in your faith, right? To, to, to be known as, hey, I'm a Jesus follower, no matter what you think of that, okay? That can be a scary thing because that's putting yourself out there a little bit, and that can be an unsettling thing. But sometimes it's, okay, if I put myself out there, all of a sudden everybody knows, or a lot of people know, some flaws in my life and some things I used to be or used to do or maybe still am struggling with. And that can be a, a scary thing for us to put ourselves out there a little bit, to be unhindered. And so, again, we just step back into the shadows. And we're not as unhindered as maybe we could be in our life. And so all these fears and these fractures and these wrong focuses, I don't know what the plural word for focuses is. Is it focus I? I don't know. But you can think about that as well as you look for that quote and that reference from uh, Home Alone. Um, but the wrong focuses, all of those things hinder us from living more, more with more enthusiasm for God and for Christ. And I wrestled all week with, those are fine. I had the list of these kind of things. I can make two of these lists of things, things that hold me back. But what's the solution? Um, how do I become more like the angels? How do I place that and, and see that more at work in my life? How do I fulfill Jesus' prayer that on earth as it is in heaven? How does that grow in my life? And I came down to this um, I think it's a process. I don't think it's a simple thing. Um, the difference between, I think, us and the angels, if I was to look at that angel story and look at myself, or you look at yourself, the difference between the angels and us is proximity to God. It's proximity to God. Now, they live in God's presence constantly, right? There's no doubting who God is. There's no having to wonder, well, what does God look like? What is God like? Uh, what's God doing? Uh, all those kind of things, those are very things that the, the proximity of the angels to God makes that uh, less likely for them to be hindered because it's just right there before them. They see God clearly. They understand God's awesome attributes and actions, and all of the fears that hold us back, they're faded away from them because they are so close to God. And so here's what we have to do in a process of, of life, is we have to practice the presence of God. We have to learn to practice the presence of God. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? That could mean a lot of different things in your life and in my life. 
Um, there was a guy, I forgot to write down his name, as Brother Lawrence was his name, I did write it down. Brother Lawrence was like a monk in like the 1600s, and he spent his entire career as a monk serving in the kitchen and in the shoe shop of his monastery. And you think, why do we still read to 400 years later, why are we still reading the writings of a guy who worked in the kitchen and in the shoe shop of his monastery? Because Brother Lawrence continued to write letters back and forth, and after he died, they collected these, and he just learned to practice the presence of God by just always living in conversation with God. If he was washing dishes, he was talking to God, he was praising God, he was talking to God about a problem, asking God to work, he just had all these conversational things, and so that was his way of growing in this presence of God thing, of growing in that attribute. For you, that might be, I don't think that's a bad thing for any of us to, to emulate. Just always being constant, God, you're here. Uh, God, here's the problem, here's what's going on. Um, prayer doesn't have to be a 30-minute thing you do in the morning and you don't do it all day long. It's much, probably much more healthy even just to live throughout your day, just talking to God, wrestling with the things of the day with him, um, just realizing that no matter what comes your way, he is there with you if you are in Christ. And so maybe it looks like that. Maybe it looks like in the, in the year ahead, that you are more dedicated to being in that word, reading and listening, dialoguing, and hey, God, here I read this today. Here's where I think you're, you're highlighting, you're emphasizing this for me today. So let's talk about that, God, throughout my day. Maybe it means that you meet with a couple, three people, and, and you kind of help each other in that process. Maybe that means that, that you're, you're here more often, or I don't know what it means. But asking ourselves the question, how do I put myself more and more in the presence of God? How do I live that? How do I remind myself that no matter where I go or what's going on, he is with me? And so look at this list again and just think very quickly about the difference that, that proximity to God makes in those struggles. Think about the fear of failure or rejection. What does proximity to God do for that? If I'm struggling with being people pleaser, I'm struggling with um, needing the approval of other people. If I am aware, if my focus is on a God who is present with me, he begins, and it doesn't mean I don't meet people, but he begins to, to minister into that and to talk into that and speak value apart from what other people say or do into my life. And I begin to find my, my sense of security, not in what people say or don't say or do or don't do, but in a constant fixed love that God has for me. The fear of failure, there's grace. Mercies are new every day, the Bible says. And so the closer I am to God, the more fixed I am on God in my life, the less the fear of failure, the fear of rejection um, begins to work so strongly in our life. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it begins to fade in my life. Um, there was a series, a series on fear that I, I learned, uh, listened to a long time ago. And I always remember that, that the thesis of that was that if you fear God, you will fear nothing else. That the fear of God is the thing that takes care, wipes away every other fear in your life. And if you're in the presence of God like these angels are, living, knowing him, sending in awe of him, respect of him, if that's where your mind is set, where your heart is set, where your life is fixed, then there's not going to be a lot of other things that are going to cause you to fear because he is going to secure you in all those things. Or what about the fatigue of our souls? The tiredness that oftentimes seeks into us. If I'm near God, what did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and tired, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. That doesn't mean a nap. Maybe a nap today. That's great. But that means more than a nap, right? It's a, it's a soul thing. It's a thing that pours into the deepest part of you where you're just tired. You're just worn down by life. 
but he brings grace, he brings love, he brings vitality, he brings purpose, all these things to our souls. The frustration with fruitlessness, boy, it's, if you're distant from God, it's hard to see him at work. It's hard to see where he's working, but the closer you are to God, the more that you see him just at work and maybe even little, little things, little things step by step in your life that you see him at work infatuation with lesser things. Again, the closer I am to God, the more trivial, the more empty I see all the things of the world. And just the fear of being the focus. If I'm near God, I'm not even worried about that. Uh, my fixation's on him. How do I know him, love him, serve him? I'm living for an audience of one, and I'm no longer thinking about myself as much. And so in this Christmas season, my hope and my prayer for us is that we would... Um, learn to live a more unhindered um, following of Jesus, that we would not allow fear or tiredness or frustration or idolatry to, to hold us back from following and loving and serving um, and proclaiming the goodness of God, the greatness of Christ in and through our life. And in doing so, I think we're going to bless the heart of our Father. And so my prayer for you and for me is that we would be an unhindered people like the angels in heaven are. I'm gonna to close today, and I'm gonna to ask you to bow your heads, and I came across this prayer this week that I just wanna pray over us today as just a reminder of the attributes of God and the beauty of God and, and the help of God that we need in our life to be fixated upon him. So would you bow your heads and, and pray this with me? Jesus, we come before you today in amazement. Thank you that because of your birth, we know that our Father is with us and he is for us. And so may we welcome you, not as in a cold manger, but in a heart that is warm and that is welcoming, both with love for you and for others. Jesus, you are the tender, holy babe. You are the shepherd of your flock. You are the healing person. You are the Christ of the people. You are the, you are the world-pervading God. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, you are the glory of eternity who now shines among us. You are the son of the high, king of the universe, splendor of the father, source of life, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, son of Mary, pattern of goodness, friend of all. You are the brother to the poor, and you are the champion of justice, and you are the joy of the angels. Jesus, in you we see God's face, gentle, smiling, strong, loving, obedient. Jesus, you radiate what the world so needs today, gentleness, tenderness, light, and hope. In you, may we find the gentleness as the answer to violence, tenderness as the answer to ill will, light as the answer to lies, and hope as the answer to despair. Your mercy brings forgiveness, and so have mercy on us. Bring us to true sorrow for our sins. Give us eternal life, for your glory fills eternity, and your glory fills the universe, and may your glory fill and captivate each one of us so that our lives might be unhindered in their devotion to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen.